Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and richly and abundantly bless you. And let me again thank all of the partners whose monthly giving enables us to do this. I could not do it alone. In fact, the the scripture would forbid that. Um, Always the Bible speaks in terms of us. And so partners plus me in the Holy Spirit presents this message to you tonight. And so thank you, partners. And I want to turn almost for the last time. We're almost at the end of this prayer that has taken our attention these many weeks. We still have to do amen. But right at the end of this prayer, there is what is called the doxology, which is a sort of theological word which means the explosion of praise and of worship. And it is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then, uh, amen. And notice it, it begins with for or because. It's as if there's a summation here of the entire prayer. He is saying, because of this, that is, that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, because of that, for, then it's everything else we have said in the prayer finds its foundation and its solidarity within the earth. And we could go through that prayer. Maybe we will before we're done with this. But it just to realize, because of this statement of worship and praise, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That The whole prayer now is rooted in that. Because of that, we've said all of this. Because of this reality, all of this holds true. And so, let worship, let this kind of praise wrap up all of your praying. Never end your prayer with a whimper. End your prayer with a burst of intentional praise. Now, um... Let me say also, it's worship, it's praise, but it's assurance. Notice there's no ifs or buts here. There's no perhapses. Uh, It is, yours is the kingdom, (coughs) period. Yours is the power, period. Yours is the glory, period. (coughs) This is worship. And... I want to look at these three words quickly. We've sort of looked at them as we have gone through the prayer here and there. But notice he said, yours is the kingdom. Now, um, you might remember the word kingdom is it's a, from most ancient English. And it actually means if we pull out the word... Because actually the word is a shortened phrase. The phrase that this speaks of is the king's domain. Okay? The king's domain is actually the word kingdom. Dom being the shortened version of domain. The king's domain. Or the area in which the king 
expresses his intention, expresses what he desires. It is the area, it's that, what? I'm almost tempted to use the uh, word that the New Ages have exploited uh, aura. It is that influence that goes out from the king and and within that influence, the king uh, rules. It's, it's the place of the activity of the sovereign Lord, that is the one who has the last and the only say. And so kingdom, it's, it's the place of expression. It's the place of activity of the intention of this Lord. It's the place of influence. That is how the word was used in ancient Europe, describing the various kings of Europe. I know that here in the U.S., it's hard to have a concept of one human being having that kind of authority. But that's, that's what the word means. That's where it originated. Now, this is speaking of the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom, he says. Yours is the kingdom. So when it speaks of the kingdom of God, it is speaking of that, shall I say, dimension where we have an expression, an exposition of who God is. Within the kingdom of God, you are dynamically in touch with who God is. He's expressed and you have eyes to see it on every hand. It is within that area that you have the influence. And when we say influence, we are speaking of a power. We're speaking of that which actually moves in the minds and hearts of human beings. Or as it is put so clearly in Philippians 2.12, for it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. It isn't that you just have these ideas and you're that sort of chap that urges come up to to pray. No, it is God who's working in you. You are alive within the influence, or the biblical word is working, or as the Greek word is energy of the Holy Spirit. It's the kingdom of God. It is this kingdom... Jesus came to announce the kingdom and to bring about the kingdom. And as we've talked about it elsewhere, the kingdom of God is finally and fully realized here on earth in Jesus Christ. We must understand this. Please, this is... The, the kingdom of God is, is finally realized in Jesus Christ. When he began to speak, at the beginning of his ministry, he said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same word, is at hand. It's here within touching distance. And then he spoke of that kingdom in Matthew 12 as being uh, shown to be present by the binding of satanic power. And he speaks of the kingdom of God in terms of healing power and power to transform men's lives. And then when he goes through the cross and then in the resurrection and in the ascension and in the giving of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God arrives on earth. Please understand me. The kingdom of God has arrived on earth. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, you have pictures in the Old and New Testament of what happened. And we, we mentioned one last week in Daniel chapter 7, when it speaks of this one coming from the very belly of the monster, Rome, and, and he comes, 
in ascension to the one called the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and he is given authority, rulership over all peoples and all nations. He is declared to be the sovereign Lord of all creation. Uh, that's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead, far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named in this age and the world to come. It is saying there is not another name, there is not another idea, there is not any concept that is higher than Jesus, who is God, joined to our humanity to take our humanity into this incredible dimension, world, life. It's called the kingdom of God. Or Philippians chapter 2, and I'm sure you're aware of that, that to him was given the name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, at the name Jesus declared to be Lord of all. That was the ascension. That's who Jesus is today. And Jesus then, after that ascension, here on earth in his body of glorious resurrection, he declared, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And spoke of that in the present tense. Revelation chapter 5, though it's highly symbolical language, I think you get the drift, but it speaks of a lamb that had been slaughtered and had the marks of slaughter upon it, blood on its fur, yet it lived and was coming to the throne of God and there was placed beside God at the right hand, declared to be worthy is the Lamb, the one co-equal with the Father, God from God. There it is. So you cannot speak of the kingdom of God without speaking of the finished, accomplished work of Jesus. You cannot think of the kingdom of God in any other terms than love, achieving love's end to bring humans into relationship with God. It's done. It's accomplished. That which the prophets had longed for and spoken of now came in the finished work of Jesus. But upon his ascension, be, upon his being declared the sovereign Lord of all creation, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, then comes in order to implement that fact. Do you understand that? Jesus declared Lord of all. Jesus declared as having all authority. Now that must be implemented on earth. That kingdom must become a an earth reality, a visible reality, something tangible, something within our world. And the Holy Spirit comes. Do you understand this? The Holy Spirit comes and he comes specifically to implement what Jesus has done. He comes to actualize that within human history. He comes to apply it into our individual hearts. And it was at that Jewish feast called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. And it's a, a subject all by itself, but let me slide over it quickly. It says that the, the, the first believers... 120 of them were gathered in an upper room, probably in the temple, and it says there came a sound from heaven. Or you could say an unearthly sound. It reverberated all across Jerusalem. And it says there was this sound, and sound is a vibration of energy. And it says there was this sound of a mighty rushing 
And that word rushing is better understood as bearing to us, carrying to us. Rushing, mighty wind or spirit. And that Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who had brooded over the entire creation in Genesis 1, now comes to bring to us the person and everything accomplished by that person, the person of Jesus coming to us in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came into those first disciples. He clothed them. And they became persons of two worlds. They lived in this world with solid earth, people of this planet. But at the same time, they were persons of the heavens. They were persons who, in the Holy Spirit, were in union with Jesus, who was in union with the Father. And that was life. By the way, that's what you call a Christian. I, I know that many today would not have a clue of what I've just spoken of. But that's, when you read the New Testament, that's a Christian, a person that the Holy Spirit is implementing, actualizing the kingdom of God within us, within me, within you, within us. And actualizing that kingdom through us into the darkness of the world in which we live. Now that explains what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not like any earthly kingdom. I mean, I lived in England a long time, um, but I, I never saw the queen. I, I mean, sort of knew she was there pass her house in London, but you never saw the Queen. Um, you, but, but you lived by the laws of England, and there was a military to back them up, and there was a police force, you see, and, and it was accepted rules. This is England. Um, I only met her once, and that was by accident, long after I'd come over here and was back over there on a visit and by accident got into the royal garden and bumped into her. But um, that was just a hello and get out of there. Now you see, this kingdom of which we're speaking, you cannot be aware of the kingdom unless you are united to the king. Did you hear that? This is a kingdom of relational love. Every person within this domain of the king is vitally, dynamically, personally united to him through the Holy Spirit, who is the one who implements and brings to pass the kingdom. And so the Bible always speaks um, not of us down here and him up there somewhere. That is paganism. No, no, it always speaks of Jesus saying, I am in you. You are in me. And that in illustrated by a branch being in the tree. And, and the sap of the tree flowing through the branch and a union. That, that's, that's being a Christian. So when we say kingdom, uh, and that kingdom as expanding to fill the earth, that kingdom that no thing and no one can ultimately put down. He says, for yours is the kingdom, that is, there is no other. Put that on hold. Yours is the power. And when we speak of the power of God, you, you immediately begin with the book of Genesis. In chapter 1, creation. And, and speaking, I mean, you talk about power. Let there be light, there was light. Let dry land appear, dry land appear. And he speaks into being over a period of six days all of creation. For him to 
think, imagine, is to speak, is it to be. Power. Nothing to mediate it, you know. Um, we, we say of uh, presidents and monarchs on earth that they have great power. They don't. They, they need a, a hundreds, maybe thousands of persons to implement what they say. So the king or the president speaks, but then that has to go down through generals and generals, then through the military and commanders to get this thing done or whatever area. But with God, there's nothing. He speaks, it is so. He doesn't have intermediaries. He is the power. Or as I've said many times before, God doesn't have any power. He is power. Always understand that power is love power. Never think of an atomic explosion when you think of God's power. You want to know what the power of God looks like. God's power became flesh and lived among us. And we realize that God's power is the power to do his love intention, to bring his love desires to pass, to perfection. And so the greatest expression of his power was in the incarnation that God became flesh, a babe in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The greatest expression of his power was that he humbled himself and became obedient to the Father even to the point of death on the cross. The power of God to strip Satan of all authority to release us from the power of sin God's power was seen on the cross in the bloodshed. And then that power is suddenly seen by the resurrection. And, and when it speaks of the resurrection in Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power, usward who believe. And if you read that whole passage... It uses every word in the Greek language for power. It piles them all into there to try and describe the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection was greater than creation. Did you understand that? When Jesus rose from the dead to begin a whole new world, that power was greater than Genesis 1, the beginning of creation of of, the universe. Why do I say that? Because before Genesis 1, there was nothing. God spoke Genesis 1 out of his own heart, out of his own limitless mind and imagination. That was life springing forth out of life. But when Jesus rose from the dead... You understand me? He went into unlife. He went into death. He went into the domain of death and came out from that. Death died in the resurrection of Jesus. There's a massive, there's a uh, beyond words difference between calling life out of life and being life out of death so that Jesus proclaimed, I am he who lives. I was dead. Most wonderful words in the New Testament. I was dead and look, I am alive forevermore. That's the power of God. That's the power that is fine. This is, this is God and he has defeated all the powers of darkness that were <laughs> daring to stand up against his love and against us. And so the power of God 
is associated totally, not associated, it's one with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a gentle idea. Oh dear, I, I know some might be confused at this, but the kingdom of God is not a lecture. The kingdom of God, this, this coming of the actual, actual domain influence, life transformation, the actual doing on earth of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that, that, that's, that's not a lecture given by a professor in some theological seminary. Kingdom of God, Paul said, is not in word only. It's not just a bunch of words. You don't just sit there and take notes and say that was a jolly good thought. No, the kingdom of God, said Paul, is not in word only. It is with power. And when he said of his own coming to Corinth to proclaim this kingdom of God, he said, I come to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom of God comes to us, confronts us with power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead makes your dead spirit alive to the point where it's called a new birth. Do you realize the power of the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit comes into our minds enlightens our minds, sweeps away over the weeks and months, sometimes years. It sweeps out all the old ideas of darkness, of the, all the ideas of our ancestors, and, and implants in us a renewed mind. The kingdom of God with power can take a despairing, depressed person in darkness and fill them with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The power of the kingdom of God to actually make whole the atomic structures of our body, our organs, our, our nerve endings, and heal our sickness. This is the kingdom of God that can come into a, a, a dark ghetto and transform it into a place of divine light and love. The power of God. Of this power, the scripture says, with God nothing is impossible. I mean, go to bed with that for a few nights. With God nothing, nothing, no thing, nothing is impossible. Or to the Virgin Mary, when announcing the Incarnation, the angel said, No word of God is void of power. Every word, every word God speaks contains within it the power to accomplish its end. Or in Jeremiah it said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's, that's an intra, too hard He's translated elsewhere, you might be surprised to know, as wonderful. And elsewhere it's translated as marvelous. What, what am I talking about? Well, of course, it would take a long time to explain that altogether. But it's really saying that which is too hard for a human being to think of, let alone do. Too hard. Well, that too hard, as I said, translated as marvelous, because when we see that, our mouths flap and we say marvelous in our astonishment, or we just stand with bug eyes and say wonderful, because we have seen the power of God. We have seen God's power accomplishing his end of divine love. Now he says, yours, meaning yours alone, is the power. There is no other power apart from God. Do you get that? There are not two gods. Yours alone. There's only one kingdom, he said. Yours alone is the kingdom. There's only one power. 
Okay, put that on hold. Yours is the power and the glory. And this is a word I'd like to spend a lot more time with. The word has a number of levels, shall I say, of meaning. We, we could speak of it as the radiating light. And that radiating light and a light from another world because it, it terrified people sometimes to see it or they hid their faces. And, but it's also a radiant light of beauty as if I have finally found where everything fits together and it is beautiful. Okay, but what is it that fits together? What is it that's shining? And that's where we get many, almost like facets of a diamond, which fits the idea of glory. Um, it means reputation. Uh, uh, at a human level, the human glory is a person's reputation. Um, their track record, shall I say. Well... The glory of God is his track record, his reputation, indeed. But behind that track record is the, the intent of God. And I will have to fill that in. The intention of the thoughts of God. And he speaks of that, Jeremiah 29, Psalm, what is it, 139. He speaks of his thoughts that he has toward us. And, and within that, you have imagination that God sees his end, his purpose, his intention. It, it includes the agenda of God, where God is going with all this. And sometimes scholars would translate this as opinion. It's God's opinion on a matter. It's God's statement. And so it includes then his word, which arises out of his thought and his imagination, his opinion, which then is expressed in actions in our history. And all that together become his track record. It becomes his reputation. It becomes the way he is, who he is, what he does. And all of that radiating out. And when we see what he does, when we see what he thinks, then huh, that's beauty. That's light. It all fits. That's wisdom. That's truth. Now, let me push that one step further. That glory, that outradiance of who God is, the outshining of his thoughts and opinion and imagination, it's all toward us. Yes, the glory of God is all that God is, all that God thinks, all that God opines, all that God imagines about you. And all that God has done in Jesus Christ for you, as you, as your representative. Do you understand? The glory of God is not something up there floating in the sky, just sort of yellow shoots. Uh, no, this is, this is the radiance, the outshining, outpowering of all God's thoughts for you. No wonder Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, if this is what you think about me, if this is what you say about me, if this, this is what you have done on my behalf, then who can be against us? That's it. Who indeed? This... You put all this together, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. There is no other. Yours and yours alone. That's worship. That's worship. Or another word 
the fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean to say you're scared of God. No, 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 quite the reverse. It's that word fear. The word fear means to stand in awe of. Actually, the word fear in Webster's Dictionary, it means to worship. You see, when you are afraid of this and that and the other situation, it means you stand in awe of its power to kill you or to hurt you. It means, yes, I dare say it, anxiety is worshipping the power to destroy you. But to say, yours is the only kingdom, yours is the only power, yours is the only glory, that's the fear of God. That's to stand in awe and wonder and worship of God. It's the word of faith, worship. Because there are many times when all you can see, the only appearance, is darkness. Doesn't look like it's his kingdom. It doesn't look like his power is anywhere to be seen. Certainly doesn't look like God's opinion on the matter. But here it is. Yours alone is. Yours is the power. Yours is no other. Do you hear what this is saying? And I've said this before, I think I said it last week, but sometimes it takes a few months before this sinks into people. There are not two kingdoms. Please. The gospel has no place for two gods. If you believe in two powers, two gods that are opposing each other, you're not a Christian. I welcome you to our webinar. I do not despise you, but please don't call yourself a Christian, you see. You, you belong to some of the ancient Eastern religions that were a, a dualism. They believed in a God of darkness and they believed in a God of light and they're fighting it out. And I, I, I listen to many Christians and I wonder, what, what do they believe? Where's this coming from? They're talking of the devil as though he's two powers fighting it out. Come back to this and say, uh, pr pr praise this. Use this as your praise for about two days without ceasing. Just let it sink in. Let it roll over you. Yours is the only kingdom. Yours is the only power. Yours is the only glory. And then you'll realize the satanic kingdom is a phony kingdom. It's a started out by being a stolen kingdom, but then was exposed as phony. There's only one kingdom. This is God's earth. Don't give it to the devil. The earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Go through the Psalms. Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm. It says the earth and all its peoples. You remember it says, let them tremble. The Lord is king. I, I know people have been brainwashed into this seeing the devil as a opposing power to God. No, there's no other. We're not two, we don't have opposite opposing kingdoms. It's not opposing powers. See who's the strongest, God or the devil. We don't have opposing glories or opposing reputations and opinions. In Matthew, in fact, right here where we're looking at it, at this prayer that Jesus gave in the next verses, it, it speaks about a single eye. If your eye be single, he said, then your whole body is full of light. And that word single could be, it's a difficult word, it could mean to be folded. But, but the idea is you're not seeing double. Oh, come on. What, what is double, seeing double? Have you noticed the strange spelling of the word doubt? I, I know that English is a terrible language to learn and no rhyme or reason to its grammar or spelling, but Doubt really rocks you. D-O-U-B-T. How on earth do you get doubt out of... Well, you see, doubt 
is being double D-O-U-B-L-E, double-minded. You come on a situation, and I could multiply those situations, where you, you're swinging. Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it the devil? Is it God? Um, <laughs> and of course, the the pagan influences upon national conversation. So when when anything terrible happens, it's an act of God. And and, and so we swing. Is it the devil? Is it God? Is it the, we we don't know whether we're dealing with God or rebuking the devil or what. Because we've got this, we don't see single, and therefore we're not full of light. We're we're full of fog and confusion. Look, let's get this. Yours alone is the kingdom. Satan may do many things. I'm in no way, listen to last week, we're in no way dismissing the devil. But he's a created, he's a creature. And even in his worst, this incredible God uses his worst for God's end. So we don't see double. We don't see the devil and God. We see God. And we acknowledge the fact the devil is doing this work, but there's only one kingdom, and that kingdom does and ever shall be victorious. There's no competing kingdoms, there's no competing powers, no and you see, you could say that man's independent self is an attempt to establish an alternate kingdom. It, man in his delusion thinks he has power that can be put alongside God's power, that he's going to achieve his end. And, and, and then we look at other persons and, and that oppress and would impose their kingdoms and power upon us. All the futile attempts of humankind to establish independent kingdoms, my way or the highway, this is what is, this. And, and of course, behind all that, Satan's agenda Satan's stolen power, Satan's futile attempt to establish a kingdom of darkness. The moment I believe in another kingdom, another power, another glory, the moment I believe that I am in a position of danger because of another kingdom, then I, I can be plunged into darkness and despair, depression, confusion. It, I tell you what that is. It's anxiety. Why should you see? I, I, I look at another person's agenda. I look at another group of person's agenda. I, I, I look at circumstances. I look at all these things, and I see them as kingdoms seeking to establish their rule and they have power to destroy me you see they they have an opinion they 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 have um thoughts and intentions to hurt me and to and if i believe in them if i stand in awe before them i have anxiety because i I've, i'm no longer single in my vision i i'm seeing this kingdom that kingdom this power that power and then I cry out to God like a sinking man sending up an SOS signal, help me, as if God's power is sort of up and removed and I'm trying to get his power down here, his kingdom. No. We face all the darkness and all the lies and all the appearances with the good news. There's only one kingdom. And that has been finalized and forever focused in the Lord Jesus. And he is Lord and he is conqueror in him we trust. And whatever's going on right now, we see to the end. See to the end. It's the word hope. 
the word hope. I, uh, this, this last month, I sent a special message to our partners on this word hope. Uh, it, it's a tremendous word, tremendous word. It, it undergirds the gospel. Of course, we've confused it with the way the word hope is used today. You know, we've got to hope so, meaning um, no chance. Uh, we, we use the word hope with a despairing tone, where, whereas in the scripture the word hope means to trust in, it means to have absolute confidence in, it means to expect with assurance, it means the posture of waiting to receive, it means seeing through the present circumstance to the real, and I don't care what it looks like, yours alone is the kingdom, you're the only one with power. You're the only glory. And so we rest in who God is and where we're going in God, not what appearances would dictate to us. To say this, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. It's active humility. It means I, I'm, not, I'm not building my kingdom. I with great joy abandon myself to your kingdom. I do not rest in expect of any human power. I rest entirely in your power, which is for me, pro me, and in me, and through me. To say this, it means that the way things many times are is not the way they're supposed to be and not the way they shall be. And so we dig in our heels and we hurl it into the darkness. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. That what we see in front of us is not the last word. And apart from this, you don't have any hope. I tell you, if I didn't believe these little words I'm talking about today, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'm serious. I would certainly be of all men most miserable. We live in a world where every Tom, Dick, and Harry, every demon-possessed human, every evil, wicked, rotten, corrupt thought of humans is trying to establish itself, make a kingdom. Every snarling face of evil is saying, it's my way or the highway. Only I've already taken the highway. You know, it's... Where do you go with this? It's despair. But we believe. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus believes this. We believe that Jesus said and says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We believe that the Holy Trinity... God the Father, the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit believe this. Do you ever think about that? God believes this. He believes in his kingdom. He believes in his power, believes in his glory. And we have been exalted to sit with him in the heavens and say this with him and believe it with him. That That's... That's faith. That, that, that's hope for real. We believe this. And you know, that fits. That, that we fit our life into this fact. We, we refuse the contradictory appearance and we say this is the way it is. We look the appearance in the eye and say, no, yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. No, this is not living in denial. We're not denying the way things are. In fact, a person who lives here in this 
doxology is a person who alone can face the way things are in appearance. Our denial is that the visible world is not all that there is. That's, and so I, I accept the way things are in the visible. That's, yes. But I see more than that. I see through that to the greater. And I choose to report on the truth. I keep referring in these last months to Psalm number three, but it's, it's a vital psalm. And it shows up in other parts of the psalms, but I think it says it best there, where David said, many, how many there are who are against me. And how many are saying of my soul, there is no hope for him in God. Get the picture. It seems that the whole world has turned against David and he said, all I hear over the airwaves that I'm picking up and what I'm hearing with my ears and even my closest are saying, there's no, you're too old, David. You're finished. It's over. Step out of the way. Make room for the new. There's no hope for you in God. And then he comes back with this. Only the way he expresses it in Psalm 3 is, But thou, O Lord, art a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Read Psalm 42 and 43. They're the cry of a man who faces his situation and then takes himself by the shirt and shakes himself and says, Hope in God! You will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. This is not a futile dream. Notice, yours is the kingdom. Oh yeah, the ultimate of that verse, that worship, yours is the kingdom. The ultimate is, yes, the end when every other pretend kingdom has been put down. But we don't wait till then. He says, is. That's present tense. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This that you're looking at here is the lens. It's the lens of your gospel glasses through which you look at life. And you bring, yes, the future, but you bring it into this present moment and live it in this present moment. It is. It is so. You look at your past. From whence comes the, the foul smell of a swamp of darkness that is ever sucking you back. Now look at it through this lens. I know what I did. I know what others did. I know. But yours is, the, yours is the power. And you take the worst that others did to me and the worst I did in my own actions and you turn it to glorious good. That's how I handle the past through this text. I look at the future and I hear my mind churning and saying, what if, what if, supposing? And I look at it instead through the lens of this text. And I say, whatever the future holds, hold steady. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. The Holy Spirit is the presence now in me of what historically seems to be yet future. And this drives us, especially at a time like this, because this is about as dark as the history of the world has been for many a century, I think. But this is our fuel. You know, if I didn't believe this, I wouldn't be talking tonight. I mean, what would be the point? You know, uh, looking at it just by appearance, we're not even sure there'll be a tomorrow morning. Um, I, I find 
even in the church, and I'm talking about the church where I find my fellowship, my brothers and sisters, that there is a despair. And what? I was going to say strangely, it's more than strange. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of, that that despair is based on some terrible interpretation of Scripture. I hear my brothers and sisters in the church say, well, the Bible teaches that at the end it all falls apart, you see. It's all despair, all despair, chaos, terrible stuff. And the church gets weaker and weaker. We're the, what do they say? We're the Laodicean church, you know. We're neither hot nor cold. We know the good nor bad. Uh, apathy, that's the way it's supposed to be. What are you doing? Trying to justify your own powerlessness? Look, anything, anything that you believe that produces despair and hopelessness and what's the use is not of God. The gospel and all that flows from the gospel never produces despair and hopelessness. Yes, it can be as dark as night and it is right now. But we look into that darkness through this verse. And we say, you're, you're the same. You never, you never change. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is right now the power. And you are right now working out your purpose. And even though I don't understand that, I rest in this fact. Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory. It's your opinion. It is your agenda. It is your strategy that radiates light into this darkness. And so I go on. I go on preaching because I believe that what I'm saying is stronger and greater and more enduring than the worst darkness that can vomit out of the mouth of humans. And when they're long gone and forgotten, this word continues and continues and continues. That's why people give to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. If I didn't believe that this gospel is going on and will change the hardest hearts of humans in the darkest moment in history, why on earth would you give? And incidentally, because of that terrible doctrine being preached in many churches, giving to the gospel has plummeted down. I can understand it. If this is it, kids, it's all over. It's finished. It's getting darker. Antichrist is coming. It's gloom, doom, and we're out of here. No wonder give. Why, why would you give? Your giving represents the extent to which you believe this verse. I am giving to a future that is as guaranteed as God himself. I... First time I ever went to Africa, I was sent by a certain denomination to bring home an old missionary. She had been over there for something like 70 years. I, I don't know, she was up there in her late 80s, coming into her 90s, and, and uh, had gone to Africa, where well, you could only imagine how many years prior and, and what it was like. It's bad enough today, but if you could imagine the darkness, the witchcraft, the culture. Um, and this, back in those days, young kid went to Africa and she went with hope, th this kind of hope, that this one frail, single woman could proclaim a gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit that would actually transform villages, banish witchcraft, change a culture, bring about the kingdom of God within that country. And she did. 
and she went from village to village. She confronted witchcraft. She confronted one of the most barbaric methods of killing children, as, as we do in the States today with abortion, what they, they did. They, they took unwanted children and threw them onto ant piles. And I've seen those ant piles. They can be seven feet tall, uh, a living, seething mass of flesh-eating ants. And they would take the newborns and, and throw them onto the ant pile because they didn't want them to be murdered and taken by the ants. And, and she would go into those ant piles to rescue the babies and started orphanages and schools. And, and I came, 1970, 72, I believe, uh, and I went to Africa to bring her home because the denomination says you've got to come home. You know, you're an old lady, it's time to retire. And she basically said, shove it. She said, I, I'm not coming home. I've got a lot of work to do. And, and I landed in that country and I, I landed on the coast and I began to move inland through village after village after village to come to where she lived. And at every village, they, they came out in their swarms and they got the message I was coming to get her. And, and they all had to come until by the time I reached her village, I know many hundreds, maybe thousands were behind me coming to the village and were, were camping in the jungle at night to be there at her farewell. And I will never, I will never forget as it went on for hours and hours and hours and hours, as one after another, from village after village after village, they came and they said how this woman had come and proclaimed the gospel. And their lives were transformed. The witch doctor went out of business. Villages transformed. And this frail little woman, all by herself, being carried by the prayers and by the gifts of persons back home. If, if you think about it, the only thing they had was hope in this gospel, facing the kingdom of darkness so thick you could almost feel it. And she looked right through that and said, yours is the kingdom and I'm proclaiming it here. And yours is the power and I proclaim it in the face of all other would-be powers. And yours is the only glory and I proclaim that into every word spoken in this land. And the result was literally tens of thousands lives changed. Many other missionaries came and began to work in her original work. And so her work even was the foundation of other missions. And I sat on that platform. I was supposed to preach a farewell sermon and bring the old lady home. And, and I just sat on that platform. And I wept like a baby. And I'm not given to that. I'm a Brit. And we're, and, but I saw these people. I saw... I don't know how many who said she rescued me from the ant pile. And, and I realized, this is it. The, the kingdom has come. <laughs> kingdom has come through one little lady who was too young, too frail. A woman back there 70 years ago. No, this is stupid. This is crazy. Yes, but you hope, you hope. That's what this is. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And that's it. Therefore, I'm going. And I'm going to believe the impossible. I'm going to speak this incredible word of power. And the Holy Spirit will implement it, actualize it. And to a much, much, much lesser degree, we do the same. Against all odds, we proclaim this message. We do so supported by a handful of people who have joined hands with us and hope with us, and their hope is reflected in their giving. 
you're the result or you're becoming part of the result and literally literally millions before you back through the years so there there it is i i could say more but um i think that's about it for tonight i want you to take this doxology this phrases of worship and use them and and learn to proclaim your worship into the darkness and now the blessing of god who is almighty love the father the son and the holy spirit his blessing forever established in Jesus Christ be yours this night this week and to the ages of ages so i bless you and so it is